Well, hello there. You look fantastic. You really, really do. Welcome to the Inspired Minds Podcast. My name is Jeff Watson. I am, as always, your gracious and grateful host. Um, yeah, you know what? <laughs> I wasn't going to do it, but I'm going to do it. I don't like my name. I'm just going to put it out there into the universe via some strange podcast. I'm not a fan of my name. Why? Because it's just Jeff. Jeff. Some people have amazing names like Victoria or Phineas or I don't know. Jeff is the most boring name in human history. And I've been saddled with it for quite some time. Fun fact, when I was a kid, the reason really got to me because when I was a kid in grade school or something, kindergarten, the all the kids would make fun of me by saying, I'll never forget this. It seared me for life. It was Jeffrey the giraffe. He will make you laugh, which why that was searing, I don't know really in retrospect because I said they were saying I was kind of funny. But, you know, you're like you're like five years old. <laughs> you're so just I cried for hours. So I'm not a fan. But so the biggest tell for me is that there's there's not really any songs about Jeff that are out there. And so tonight, in preparation for this, I thought about it, and I decided to look up some of the songs that have the word John in them, or about John. And they're legendary, right? Like Johnny Thunder by uh, by the Kinks. Johnny Be Good, of course, by uh, Chuck Berry. Uh, Sloop John B. by the Beach Boys. Uh, Not Now John, Pink Floyd. Johnny Hit and Run, Pauline, the, a massive X song. And it just goes on. And uh, even Be Good Johnny by Men at Work, which really wasn't that bad of a song, P.S., but then I went back and I'm like, okay, how about songs about Jeff? <laughs> yeah, there's one. And it's actually, there's two. One is by Jethro Tull. I don't, that doesn't count. I hate that band. And the other one is by a band called the Pixies, who I adore, but it's really their worst song that they've ever had. And that's two, folks. I'm just, I just needed to get this out because apparently I needed to do a segue into the next guest that I had. And her name is Tuk Nguyen, and she's a fantastic screenwriter and a writer for such little tiny things like the Huffington Post, so on, Forbes, IndieWire, Hollywood Reporter, Vogue, Daily Beast, LA Times, Nylon, and uh, I am now out of breath because there's a lot more. She's also, uh, she's doing this movie right now called Scent of the Delta, which is about the Vietnamese experience out in, uh, in New Orleans. And we talked a lot also about the Vietnamese experience um, I was fortunate enough, my family was, we actually sponsored a Vietnamese family in San Jose for like decades and just learned about the wonderful culture there. So it was also a blast. We talked so much about her academic writing uh, and like vampires and we just, just went on and on. So a fantastic, wonderful conversation. I am thinking about something, by the way. Perhaps we can start a little game on the show where every time I say the words either fantastic or amazing, you take a drink. <laughs> I can, you'll be drunk before by the first minute, folks. Trust me on this one. At any rate, as always, I hope that you enjoyed this as much as I did making it. Oh, and we talked about the cure, which, you know, I, that's, I'm good there. I could talk for 14 episodes about the fucking cure. So I really, truly hope you have a wonderful day, night, evening, wherever you are, and you really do look fantastic. Trust me. Bye. We're here. We're here. Hello, ladies and gentlemen of the Dazzle Throng audience of Inspired Minds. Please say hello to the wonderful Tuk Nguyen. Did I pronounce that right? Tuk Nguyen. Almost. Tuk Nguyen. Tuk Nguyen. All right. Tuk Nguyen. 
I'll, <laughs> I'll get it better next episode. <laughs> thank you so Get much there. for doing this. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. I'm extremely, extremely excited to speak with you about some things because a lot of your story resonated with me, even though perhaps they may be from different uh, angles and such. But but the first thing I like to do on these shows is I like to ask the following question, mm-hmm. and it is, when you were young, what was the first thing that you can remember that inspired you? Was it a song or a movie or a picture or a book? Oh my goodness. And that is an excellent question that inspired me. I was just thinking of my first memory period. Um, oh, you know what? You know, my mom tells me though, I was greatly inspired by music like Madonna and the Eurythmics. Oh, and I do remember, I do remember listening to the Eurythmics in the car and other people told me I was really into Madonna as a toddler. Great, great answer. And I will say this too, big Madonna fan, of course, cause she's amazing, but uh, the, the Eurythmics, I was actually, I was watching, if you haven't seen this, you have to see it. It's her, what is her name? Um, I'm drawing a blank. Annie Lennox. Yeah, yeah, sorry, right. Annie Lennox singing with David Bowie at the Freddie Mercury Live Wembley Stadium uh, Memorial. Wow. And they did Under mm-hmm. Pressure. And she comes out oh. in a black gown with her eyes, like blade rendered out kind of with a black thing over it. Mm-hmm. To represent AIDS, apparently. Oh my gosh, I have to find that video. Thank you. Magical. So what about Lenny? So what about that experience? What about music really kind of then got you to lead into this creative world that you entered into? Oh, again, great question, because I'm not super musical. I can play things. I can't sing to save my life. But uh, music does get the mind moving and get the blood moving. So that helps with thinking overall. Um, That kind of music definitely showed me that these women were very outspoken, to say the least. Yeah. And the, the fact that they existed and didn't care much for what other people thought, it seems like. So that they're good early, early role models, even if I didn't know that's what they were. So to be able to belt out these tunes and have these narratives in their songs probably jogged my young mind. Sure. And the thing about Annie Lennox, I will say too, is that she was so good at pushing the gender boundaries. Yes. Oh, yes. No, exactly. The uh, androgyny. I'm not sure if that's the right word in this day and age. Yeah. No, she's unbelievable. I mean, you will not find a bigger fan of Annie Lennox than me in anywhere in the world. Well, maybe her, her, her family. <laughs> Perhaps. Probably. Okay. We're going to have to have a duel over that. Yeah. <laughs> you, me, and there. And her family. I just remembered something. I this is such a, this is such a name drop, but it was kind of mm-hmm. in context. Uh, at Warner Brothers, when I was I was working on some C, no, I was working on some project. A new artist that Dave Stewart from the Rhythmics was the manager of, basically. Mm-hmm. So I would email him, mm-hmm. and one night I wrote to him. I'm like, I'm a huge fan of you, and I'd love to meet up. And he goes, We should jam <laughs> sometime, which I never followed through on. Whoa! I never followed through because I'm an whoa, asshole. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Oh, <gasps> for shame! I know I screwed up, didn't I? It's okay. If it's not too late, just send me. I'll be terrible, but it would be fine. <laughs> so I want to get into uh, into your stuff. Um, I'm I'm really impressed. You're a polymath. I can. It's oh. just so clear as a bell Thanks. because photography has been in Girl Gaze Project, and um, you know what? I got to say too, and I'm just going to kind of rattle out some things to kind of talk about it, maybe in general or not. But um, I love your spooky spaces thing. I thought that was fantastic. And I, <laughs> I found out about a Betty Davis movie I'd never heard of. Good work. Oh, uh-huh. the Dead Ringer. Bingo. You love Morro Bay. That's my that's my haven. Yes. <gasps> um, 
I, I love that. Your, again, your photography. Um, I know that you do a lot of political satire with the Satanic Temple. You're you're like all over the place. And was there a specific line of art that you went to first, or is it all been a jumble? You know, I, I'm not that gifted overall art wise, but I do remember writing early. I do have a book that I wrote when I was eight years old, a very small book, not a novel or anything, just a children's book about a fish. It's around somewhere. Well, it's impressive. (laughs) Nevertheless, what I, so I do want to talk kind of in the, in the beginning of all this really about the, uh, about the scent of the Delta and that project that you, you have written. And so, as you know, the last episode, or last, I guess, yesterday, um, I spoke to Adele, who was a director of the movie. And right. she and I talked a lot about that experience of um, a lot of the boat people. I understand that you were a boat child, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And when did you come over to America? Uh, shortly before I turned four, I'm told. Wow. I believe wow. that was my first birthday here. Do you, have, do you have any memory? I mean, I don't want to go too deep into this if you don't want to, but do you have any memories of that at all? I do not. I kind of wish I did, even though I have heard it was quite treacherous and and horrible and life-threatening and all kinds of out there unimaginable things happened, like almost yeah. getting kidnapped by pirates and whatnot out in the South China Sea. But my first memory was in nursery school in America, in North Carolina. Interesting. Yeah. As you and I talked earlier on this, um, I'm, I'm being from San Jose, I'm very familiar with the Vietnamese community. Because that seemed mm-hmm. to have been a, it's a concentration here a lot from the, from the people coming over on the boats and that my family yes. we had sponsored a family for a long time, uh, the Queez, and wow. it, it became mm-hmm. part of my DNA. It became part of my language, essentially of, oh, I can go there. People are different and that is okay. <laughs> you know? No, that is just an, an astounding experience and to have that exposure growing up too. I'm super admirable. I'd love to know more about that sometime. It really helped me. And so with that knowledge of the, the how how Vietnamese, and I'm just going to make a statement basically here, but how the Vietnamese culture isn't really represented in film and art. I mean, it has been a little bit, wow. I know, with Heaven and Earth, and but in general, it hasn't gotten there. So with that in mind, can you kind of talk about Scent of the Delta itself and then also kind of around the Vietnamese community? Uh, yes, you're absolutely right. And it's just been shown. I mean, if there are Vietnamese American characters, Vietnamese diaspora characters on television and most films, the words that come out of their mouth are completely written by people who aren't part of the culture or didn't grow up in the culture. Yeah. So when I watch it or people like me watch it, you know, sometimes you want to gouge your eyes out <laughs> <laughs> because it's astoundingly embarrassing how we're shown. It's, it's sad to say, but it's just so far off base and it's not okay because then of course people perceive us to be certain ways in real life and we're treated adversely. That's not representation of those. Absolutely. Can you tell me a little bit about how the Vietnamese specifically are stereotyped as opposed to perhaps other cultures, Asian cultures? Yes, exactly. There is that whole separation between East Asian cultures, uh, you know, the, the Chinese, Japanese, Korean who have been having some moments and we see them a lot. But a lot of people think that they represent all Asians, all Asian diasporas right. around the world and that those are the only Asians. So people, even the East Asians themselves, forget that there are Southeast Asian diaspora people, uh, South Asia. Oh, you know, there, there's a multitude of other kinds of Asians 
besides the ones that we usually see who are um, data-wise a little more well-off financially and, you know, quote-unquote crazy rich ones. <laughs> and that doesn't represent all of us or how we were brought up or our attitudes. No. So we can't be, you know, under that umbrella or, you know, as I like to tell people, Ali Wong calls them the fancy Asians and then the rest of us, including the Vietnamese, she calls the jungle Asians. Whoa. So that's how, yes, that's how she breaks it down. But yeah, I guess she's allowed to say that because she's half fancy Asian Chinese uh-huh. and partly Vietnamese apparently, but it's still interesting okay. to uh, see how people feel about that. I mean, let's be honest. Asian representation in film hasn't been fantastic for a very long time, including, mm-hmm. uh, oh, who was it? Uh, Mickey, um, not Mickey Rourke, Mickey. Oh, come on. The Breakfast of Tiffany's thing. Where you, oh my God. Mickey Rooney. Thank you very mm-hmm. much. Boom. Because you know what I'm talking You're about, welcome. right? Because back then, mm-hmm. it was like the broad stereotypes were just, that wasn't an issue whatsoever. And it's still kind of being done. The no. No, yeah, I see it all the time in the modern day when I've flipped on the TV, seen an episode where, you know, the Asian guy does all this kung fu and then someone else who's not Asian just comes and flicks him and he falls over. And it, it is, it's terrible. It is embarrassing yeah. to be shown that way. It, it makes me cringe. And then when you see how the women are represented, it's, of course, in a whole other story. Have, would you say that perhaps then that the script is a bit of a resistance against that? Definitely. It is a resistance against uh, so many things that we won't even have time to get into it. But yeah, it's uh, it's a reaction to things, uh, even films that have been made in the last two to five years are showing Vietnamese and Vietnamese diaspora women in a way that, yeah, still, still very ish. Yeah. For lack of a better word. Yeah. Yeah. And I got to say, I'm going to give a big props out here on the, uh, on the old show. Fa. Mm. Fa is the greatest thing in history. (laughs) I agree. It is. I mean, I I love all kinds of soups and noodles, but. Come on. Hands down. Vietnamese food is the best Like chicken noodles? Sorry. Clam chowder? Fuck off. (laughs) I like both of those as well, but I'm decent, but but not the best. But definitely in this story and in the, the film there will be plenty of Vietnamese food in it. So oh, it's, you know, it's, it's the, the gateway to the culture. I went actually, mm-hmm. I was, I was telling Adele this actually, I went to uh, Cambodia working in an orphanage for a while, about 10 years ago. Whoa. It's like a no in my head kind of thing. Amazing. And, um, and I got to oh eat gosh. food and it was like, Oh, a giant meal for $2. Mm-hmm. And it is cat. Like I had a uh, yeah. fish among, which was like this catfish in a curry sauce. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. a buck. I tried that. <laughs> Incredible. You're very lucky. I know. I heard the food is plentiful and affordable in yep. Southeast Asia. So Exactly right. Part of the reason I love doing these interviews is that I get to do a lot of research. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. a researcher at heart anyway. So I found out, about, so good. I found out about the Bechtel test. Yes. I have no idea mm-hmm. about this. And so if, I'm look, if I find oh, it yeah. correctly, it's got to feature two, at least two women in speaking roles who have names, which is a good call. Yes. And talk to each other mm-hmm. about something, anything other than man. Anything. It could be so many things. And it's shocking, you know, because I watch for it in movies and when I read screenplays and scripts and whatnot. And it's so easy to pass. Of course, it's like the lowest bar, but so many people don't. Even, um, you know, like a Spielberg movie, like Super 8. It's, I mean, even little girls in that movie, like they would never talk to a little girl about 
something else besides a little boy or something. Or it's odd, like when female characters, a girl and women characters in movies, something happens to them or something life-changing and they don't have a conversation about it with someone else who's their gender, who has a name. Yep. It's shocking. Yeah. Yeah. It's like missing whole giant chunks of their lives to make it any more realistic or huge emotional beats that they would share with someone else. I love this. Who would understand them. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I love this so much because now I'm going to start using it when I'm watching film. Oh, good. I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm really glad. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a litmus test for, for me, for authenticity, for lack of a better word. It, it, when I watch things, of course, I'm naturally critical because I, I also you know, come up with material so I, I can be critical. <laughs> I was actually doing, I did another show a little while ago um, with a woman uh, who was uh, Latina and she was the former head of uh, programming at HBO. And we had a great conversation about Latina and Latino representation in film. Yes. Um, and it's just kind of, I need more of it too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's these marginalized communities that are not mm-hmm. being represented or if they are, it's kind of fucking off a lot of times. Uh, it's very off because in front of the camera doesn't match both behind and in front of the camera. It's a whole different story when someone else is creating these characters of color. That's correct. And what they think and what they would say. So it doesn't, it doesn't click mm-hmm. if it's, you know, the words are being written by someone who doesn't have that lived experience, who never went through these things. Something else I've been kind of going through here is your, your background is, is just, I mean, your, your biological background is interesting to me and where you've lived. Irish and Vietnamese mm-hmm. origin, correct? Well, yes, born in Vietnam, ethnically Vietnamese, but I also lived in Europe and have an Irish passport, so I'm legal throughout the EU. You've been bouncing around New York City, as I see it here, London, North Carolina, <laughs> Southern Maryland. You've been bouncing around. I will say this, your your <laughs> name, your last name is the greatest hyphen that I've ever seen in my life, Nguyen Brophy. Yes, that's right. I'm technically a Brophy on paper. <sighs> Fantastic. <laughs> And okay, now I don't want to read too much into this because that's I tend to a lot of times. But does that kind of culmination of different cultures and different backgrounds for you kind of do you think that probably an obvious statement, but perhaps that got you into a multicultural lens in your work later on? Oh no, I mean I'm very I'm very lucky I was exposed to various cultures, of course, growing with my parents being Vietnamese in the house and speaking Vietnamese and uh, being able to have that. Language retention, and then in New York City, I lived with a bunch of Irish people, so I got to see, you know, how these families work, and um, you know the, you know, Irish attitudes, and, and have that background. And of course, uh, living in Europe, I got a greater understanding with that type of immersion to be around not just the Irish, but all kinds of Europeans and and the English, of course, like, yeah. because I was in London, and so yeah, I, I try to, I'm, I purposely try, but I think naturally my characters uh, have diverse backgrounds and have also seen different shores. I can't wait for this one. So as, okay. Go for it. You do so much work. You're, you're obviously, you'll do a lot of writing by the way too, like nothing can post and IndieWire and Hollywood business, all this, this LA times and nylon and all that. And daily beast, by the way, love the daily beasts too. So mm-hmm. I'm very proud of that. Mm-hmm. But the question is, a lot of these things are about uh, community and specifically the goth parking lot. I would like to give a little background here, ladies and gentlemen. 
there's a movie called Heavy Metal Parking Lot that came out in like 1983, I think it was. And it's legendary underground film. And what it is is some guys, two guys, I think, went to a Judas Priest concert yes. in the back of the uh, in, uh, outside before the show. And everybody's hammered on like Schlitz beer and smoking weed. <laughs> and they interview these people and they're just out of their minds. They're just, yes, wow, praise. <laughs> there's even one guy. It's awesome. There's even one guy, side note, where this guy goes, man, that whole band's amazing. You got this, you got that. Rob Halford, not too sure about you. <laughs> <laughs> but they were, they, I like Rob. <laughs> I love Rob. Are you kidding me? But at any rate, so uh, for the listening audience, then that was like a 10 minute, 20 minute thing of just interviewing all these just lunkheads. And it was incredible and legendary. <laughs> so the people that made it also made Neil Young parking lot, which I know. <laughs> and it was the same concept. It was, he's the same shtick and you got a completely different view of people, but, but, but Neil Diamond fans are just as crazy as Judas Priest fans. So it's like mm-hmm. wildly entertaining, but now we're going to bring yes. it all back to this lady here on the show. She did goth parking <laughs> lot, which was a bunch of kids outside of a cure show, same concept. And I will say this, and then I want to hear you talk about it because I was that kid. I was uh-huh. seriously would probably stand. Oh, good. Uh-huh. That was me. No, then you, you you totally know. And heavy metal parking lot actually took place near Laurel, Maryland, which is just up the road from where I grew up in Charleston, really? Port Tobacco. So I have a natural affinity to the people in the documentary because I grew up with metalheads like that. And I asked the filmmakers um, Jeff Krulik and John Hank if they would mind if I did goth parking lot and their answer was the goths are the brethren of the metalheads yes is what they emailed me yes I said, that's beautiful okay great and so they're very uh, kind and generous with encouraging me to do that because you know we're all marylanders and so i did goth parking lot outside of a cure show in Jones Beach, New York, a couple hours north of New York City. And this is my first camcorder. So the audio is terrible. <laughs> Everything is quite terrible, That's except really... the people in it. <laughs> so um, it? we were sorry. chased by a security guard. What year was it? I'm sorry. Was it like 1999? Was that like oh, the Dream okay. Tour? I'm not even sure anymore, but I'll, I'll watch it again. Wildflowers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the cure keeps saying, oh, this is going to be our last tour. We're never going on a tour again. Then they go back on tour. So <laughs> that's like, you know what? We need, we need to commemorate this and have it on tape. But, um, yeah, the security guard was, was not having it. <laughs> he would chase us around the stadium and make, you know, say, give me your tapes. <laughs> We'd have to run. So I did a lot of running in my year. the crime of interviewing somebody? Wait. Yeah, so we would have to find people in corners, you know, or talk to people in bathrooms. So, um, you know, my friend who who kind of incidentally he made the, some of the music for the movie Killing Zoe. His uh, moniker was back then was a DX13. So he worked at like ABC News. So we would borrow some editing bays and cut it down uh, there. So that this was without saying, "Hey, I'm a filmmaker. I want to be a filmmaker." You know, it's just. A bunch of kids, like, you know, the host was um, my old roommate's boyfriend, Brandon Olson, who came to the show with us. And then, you know, we met a German guy in the park who came to the show with us, uh, David Siegetaller. (laughs) (laughs) He was just a ragtag group. And this was before cell phones. So, you know, when we ran, uh, there's, you know, the threat of losing each other at shows and crowds (sighs) and whatnot. But we got it together and we got out of there uh, with these few interviews and funny enough, years later, um, people 
watched it because it's still online and said, Oh, my friend was in that. Uh, said, yeah. What is that person doing now? There you go. So it hasn't really gotten out in popularity as much as heavy metal parking lot, but I'm glad that it exists. Oh. And, um, I'm glad that people like us can just look back on it and go, huh. I'm putting it in the Library of Congress. I don't know how this works. I don't want to fucking. Oh, this needs to be okay, good. Thank, thank you. But here's the thing about this too. Yes, yeah, so let's get it next to heavy metal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Citizen Kane. That's how I. That's what I think of this. So no. <laughs> what I am, uh, what I'm thinking about though, first of all, all I can hear in my head is the beginning of the disintegration record by The Cure. Yeah, I, 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 I could do mm-hmm. nine episodes on that one album alone. That being said, yes, I have that in vinyl too. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, it's the greatest record ever made! I, do, I, oh my god, I love it. But mm-hmm. what I what I find interesting, and this is why I specifically kind of call this one out too, is that like goth, like the heavy metal, and like the Neil Diamond thing, they're celebrations mm-hmm. of fan passion, right? Dorky passion. Yeah, fandom at its best. That not toxic fandom, just really healthy fandom. We're just fans. <laughs> We're happy. Right? Yeah. And what I always find funny, mm-hmm. by the way, music is it's so obvious that music is not as competitive, let's say, as sports by nature, because if you mm. ever walk out of a sports arena, everyone's like, We won, we won, we won. You ever walk out of a mm-hmm. concert, everyone's fucking going, We were great. Yeah, no, everyone is happy. Music is competitive in a different way. Cause I'm reading this book that talks about Dave Mustaine and you know, Megadeth and Metallica. Yeah. So that's competitive in that way, but that's that's for another conversation, Jeff. You're right. I apologize. But that being said, it is a celebration of fandom. And here's kind of where I'm heading with this. So, and I say this a Mm -hmm. lot these days that I believe we are in a pandemic of disconnection and it's getting worse and worse Uh and worse, clearly. Yeah. But the nice thing about these little, these, these pockets of, of specifically music fandom, a lot of times they can obviously uh, spread across multiple uh, gulfs between people. For sure. Because there's that connective tissue of music. It is and always will be the connective tissue. Now, for some people, it may not be as connective. For me, music is a ladder to God for me. It's that tribal feeling that people have to have to like hang out together, right? Mm -hmm. And go on different tours and follow groups on tour. Or, you know, of course, (laughs) it's like the most fun when you're going to a concert and then you look out for other people you think are going to the same concert because you could tell by their hair or their t-shirts you know then you start to feel like it's coalescing like once you all get in the stadium or the concert hall together you you can just tell you're with your people no matter what backgrounds or what they you know look like just because you're all drawn to the same soul stirring stuff (laughs) (laughs) precisely it is that tribalism it is that when i was a kid i was uh, super into you two uh, earlier uh-huh. days, and then all my friends uh-huh. had the YouTube T-shirts because we all went to go see them in the concert. Oh, yeah, you know. Yep, same. I, I had a high school friend, uh, Colin Bevan, uh, who was like uh, the, the most super YouTube fan. Talk about uh, crazy Irish people, YouTube, and uh, yep, that was the time. It was, it was, and it taught me early on about what it meant to be part of a tribe. Mm-hmm. You know. And it, cause that was important for me as a kid, cause I was nervous and I didn't know who I was. So I needed to go find a tribe yeah. and do music. So, yes, I worked in a record store when I was younger, when I was in high school. All the cool so people do. that. Uh, <laughs> but also, you know, that we can totally segue that to the film world too. Like people who are drawn to certain um, film companies, I see them online being 
for lack of a better word, a tribe. Like, you know, there's crazed fans of A24 mm-hmm. and, um, you know, Criterion Collection people, you know, mm-hmm. who live and die by it. So I see that transference into the film world as well. So speaking of which, um, I, I, I often ask this question because I'm just, I have my own little theory, but mm-hmm. what is the future of, if you want to talk about this, but what is the future of theaters with streaming and COVID and all that? Because personally, I've gone to theaters, go to every week and just get you know, less and less mm-hmm. and less. Yeah, no, I mean, it, going to theater was such a magical thing as a kid, you know, stuffing candy down your pants, sneaking <laughs> into rated R movies. So it's a part of the fabric of our collective imagination and history. And then, you know, having that collective experience, um, into young adulthood and adulthood, of course, so many memories like the first midnight movie or the first drive in. And I really do hope that kids get to experience that kids who grew up in the time of the streaming. I don't know what millennials, post millennials, YZ, et cetera. Um, because, you know, for others of us, it was the magic of not just getting into that theater finally with all your sugar, but also then after that going to the video store and hoping that your neighbors didn't get your DVD that you want. So there's much more anticipation involved in consuming uh, film and movies. And now it is really easy. Again, I admit that I have grown lazy and enjoy watching movies at home because the cost of going to the movies Uh seem to have exploded Um, when I lived in New York you know my roommate went to the movies twice a week like we would watch anything it didn't matter what it was like we would (laughs) watch the worst movies do the most highbrow movies just to be in the theater and um I have a a fellow alumni whose twitter handle is collective darkness and that's a great way to think about being in the (laughs) theater exploring our you know humanity's shadow self in the in the theater um because it is a totally different experience. I still enjoy going to the theater because I like listening to people's reactions. And there definitely have been movies over the years that I'm glad I saw with a group of strangers just to hear where they laughed, uh, hear them talking back to the screen. So I yeah, get a big there's... from that. By the mm-hmm. way, on a side note, um, in addition to sending you the video clip of Annie Lennox doing Under Pressure with David Bowie, <laughs> I was <would say, laughs> yeah. what a treat. Movie. Thank you, Jeff. It's literally um, the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. But um, I'm also going to send you. Life. I'm going to send you maybe a video <laughs> of this, and this goes to what we were talking about about these fantastic mm. videos that I found of old uh, 1970s uh, p- uh, people watching movies back in the 70s, and it was like Jaws, <laughs> Star Wars, and they are going out of their fucking minds. These people, right? those The Exorcist. I remember seeing. Yes, like videos that kind of, of stuff. People, people were just going crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the crowd reactions talk about like, yeah like parking lot movies you know yeah. movie parking lot movies would be great as well, well I hope it's that an expression of joy like that back right and both of those are the yeah. same thing it's that expression of just holy shit i'm happy right now i am present i'm in the moment yes i'm yeah, my, my endorphins are flying <laughs> this is great <laughs> yes it's collective endorphins yeah so it's that a is, collective something un- that is lacking Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's different than being able to pause at home, <laughs> go yeah. to your refrigerator. <laughs> yeah, and not only that too. You know, you were saying that you know, there's an investment basically in going to the theater, and there's an investment. Oh, in, yeah. to a record store. Because when I was a kid uh-huh. dating myself, I would go. Actually, I still do. 
but I would go to the record store, right? I drive, I put gas in my car, I pay the bucks and uh-huh. I go back and forth. At that point, I'm invested, not even physically or financially, but emotionally, just from the drive. Yeah. Right? So then okay. I have that connection to it. Then I will buy the shirt and then I will buy the ticket because I yes. have an investment. Here, 30 uh-huh. seconds, next, swipe, swipe. Right. Um, well, it's easier for critics, like for someone who wants to watch the first five minutes of 10 movies. They go, nah. <laughs> it's much, much cheaper to be a critic. Is that what you do? Really? Well, uh, sometimes really? I do because like from a writing standpoint, of course, they say the first five pages are the most important and to hook the viewer or the reader. But same when I worked in the music industry, you know, you listen to, to demos or things that are sent in and you you do want it to grab you in the first yeah, you put your, yeah. 30 seconds of a, of a two minute song. Like you really need an emotional front load it all right away. Front load be, it exa- ex- all. Exactly. And it is an attention. Um, what, what, what do they call it? Yeah. We have just shorter attention spans nowadays mm-hmm. for, for everything. And yeah. not just whatever taste you have, but yeah. and- you know. Here's what I think is going to happen with theaters. And I think in the entire kind of, I think this is called where everything's heading anyway. I think theaters mm-hmm. are going to become record stores, what they are now, right? Which are, mm-hmm. you got one in every town, maybe, maybe two in the big mm-hmm. metropolises and the cool places. It's like, you can pay $500 yeah. for the Lou Reed first album on vinyl, Ooh. right? Mm-hmm. The experience mm-hmm. places. Theaters will become that. Yeah. I mean, I like the convenience of having had, more theaters to choose from when I was younger in New York, you know, you could walk down there, go to the Angelica, go to the next neighborhood, go to something else. Sure. Uh, besides the, these megaplexes, or I was lucky enough to have you know, the art house theater in, in Chapel Hill, North Carolina that you did have to travel for, or my parents still go to the, the art theater near Washington, DC when, you know, before the pandemic, yeah. instead of, um, you know, having to just settle for, uh, you know, to correlate to music only top 40 or whatever. But also now the one positive thing about streaming is you do get a larger selection of the independents can reach you instead of having to vie for that window, that theater run. But there's that Malcolm Gladwell book about the long tail and Mm. it's great. Yeah. Amazing that everything is available. There's so much available that it's hard to find, and that becomes the issue. And then you get into how do you move that shit, and you raise your voice, and then suddenly I'll make a TikTok video mm-hmm. for five seconds talking. You know, it's like, oh no, yeah, that's where it goes. Yeah, like I promise, I, have you, not every, TikTok. I promise you, every single record company and movie company park marketing plan right now says make TikTok mm-hmm. videos. Oh my goodness, yeah, I'm not there yet. I mean, I, I did not really Snapchat. I, I lurked, but I do not you. TikTok. Uh, you know, and I'm surprised that certain things movie marketing wise never reached me because I would think I was the target audience for certain movies, but they never got huh. to me. So sometimes I'm really surprised. Um, again, there are just so many different ways to market things, but I think word of mouth is still the best way where people are like, Oh my gosh. Or, or in terms of, of writing people are like, Oh, you have to write that one scene in the movie where people huh. will have to tell all their friends about it. Like you can't believe this happened to blah, blah, blah. Well, <laughs> this, uh, this is why you want to go pay for it. A great example of that is that fantastic movie, everything and everyone all at once. Yes. I've seen it. Oh, mm-hmm. That's a great example of it, right? Like that's word of mouth. That yes. movie's exploding on word of mouth. Yes. And again, I think it's giving the people something they have wanted for a very long time are hungry for. 
that that marketer of that um, people who greenlight movies would naturally think, yes, a middle-aged Asian woman. Exactly. But that's what we want. Yeah. <laughs> so we try to tell people what we want is, is not the same old, same old all the time, which, you know, I, I flip past streaming apps and go, oh, gosh, that's the same movie as the, the last 20 I, I just flipped through or watched the first five minutes of. When it stands out, something that you just so ever rarely see, then it's literally feeding the audiences and the masses something we and most of us are hungry for. Yep. I agree 100%. I'm going to go to a couple more little hit points here, and then we'll wrap <laughs> up the showcase. How's that sound? That sounds wonderful, sir. Thank okay. you. By the way, I'm just making this up as I go along. Just want to oh, be very perfect. clear about all this. Oh, absolutely the same. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm never media trained, so yeah, I don't know. this is just... <laughs> media trained. Step and repeat. Step and repeat. Step and repeat. <laughs> I don't even um, know. Okay, so this, this I got to call out. So I do, um, I'm, I'm finishing up with my uh, master's in psychology. So I do a lot of academic oh, wow. writing in school, right? And Congratulations. Yes. Yeah, thanks. Join the club. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I said join the club. Been You're, there too. <laughs> you have a psychology master's? No, not a psychology master's, but I do have a master's. I did start a PhD, so I'm not a stranger to academic writing. Okay. So you know that world, which I didn't know I could do, by the way. It was like this weird hidden talent that suddenly mm-hmm. I'm like, and I will cite this person. Good. We'll go here. However, same. That will being said, the greatest the greatest title in history of an academic mm-hmm. paper is the following: <laughs> of cougars and kittens and vampire visual rhetoric of the last thirty years. Atheism, Wait a second, that sounds really familiar. In relation to contemporary fictional female vampires and human <laughs> television. <laughs> what a mouthful! Yes, I know. I love really long titles, and I used to make fun of them until I became that person. May I do it again? I went to a vampire conference. Can I do it with Please, a little more dramatic? I, would you mind? Yes, I, I I would love it. Here Shoot. we are. Here we go. Of cougars mm-hmm. and kittens in vampire mm-hmm. visual rhetoric of the last 30 years. Ageism, mm-hmm. sexuality, conf- uh, <laughs> conformity, and ethics in relation to contemporary fictional female vampires in film and television. <laughs> I took that. <laughs> Um, yes, I am a scholar of vampire content. For real, I presented this paper uh, at UCL in London at a big vampire academic conference. <laughs> of course. For real, you can't make this stuff up. Nope, uh, <laughs> truth is stranger than fiction. So, yes, that was part of my academic life. Oh, my God. Uh, being a film could you imagine watcher. If, could you imagine if the right wing found out that we were teaching about vampires in college? Oh my gosh! And of course, heads would explode. You know, brains would burn and melt. Down. Shh, Jeff, geez, Louise. Um, <laughs> nobody knows my address. It's okay. But no, that was a <laughs> super awesome experience to uh, be in London during that season and being around other people who watch this stuff because I think it informs my writing, knowing about all the history of things that I like to write and think about. So I have written a vampire werewolf feature screenplay because I know about all these other vampire projects academically and know the social, you know, context and the subtext, et cetera, et cetera, dry nerdy stuff that goes into it and how it affects society. Um, But that conference was great. I mean, it was things from people who made fake meat, um, you know, things vampires might, 
consumed. This was true blood kind of stuff. Wow. <laughs> so right. It was it was all kinds of uh, presenters, and then of course people like me who write papers. But it was a very comprehensive. You're like conference. the coolest, dorkiest person I've ever met. That is saying a lot. That's okay. big. I got a lot of, a lot of dorks. <laughs> <laughs> That's saying extra a lot. Thank you. Congratulations. <laughs> yes. You've won my thank dork you, Thank you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That means a lot. Well, okay. So here's thank the final, uh, final question of the day. This is how a little, another mm-hmm. little thing I like to do. As a creative, okay. so let's say when you're writing or let's say when you're taking a picture mm-hmm. or let's say just anything creative, when do you know that you're done? Mm-hmm. Oh, uh Excellent thing to inquire about. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of a stickler for composition, picture-wise. <laughs> but thankfully, <laughs> in this day and age, you can adjust things yeah. to angles. Like, you know, I like a good horizon line. I don't like things things crooked. Um, so that's a little OCD. But so I know now that I don't have to mess with that. So I can be done faster. So I can get away with taking more pictures on the fly instead of standing there and making sure the composition is correct in a very old school, painful way. Uh, With screenplay writing, that's a lot tougher because rewriting, I mean, I've done 20 some drafts of certain things. You know, I have another project that we're, I think we're on draft 22 right now. And I'm always tweaking it because I'm always checking for grammar. (laughs) It's like doing surgery on yourself. You can never really, catch everything but you know i like to go back and go oh man a woman whoever this sentence (laughs) could be better so it is kind of beating yourself up when it's writing and i know i'm not a painter yet i'd like to try it but i've heard painters have this problem do you keep fidgeting with it do you keep adding more layers i think for writing it's a lot easier of course to change words and things on the page because no one sees all your other drafts Unless they are sadists uh, or, or masochists, I mean, <laughs> they want whatever, to either way, do harm to the to themselves, <laughs> or, or yeah, fair enough. Or, or their editors sometimes sadists. Yes, um, that's the editor. But yeah, so for for screenplay writing right now in the in my process of of having a, a team help me with notes, I still am not completely positive it's going to be done until it is shot, and then I've heard a lot of people in that position still kick themselves after mm. their things get produced and shot and go, Oh, it still could have been better, <laughs> but hopefully, <laughs> you know, uh, that, that stands with the, your, your, your own worst critic. I always, saying. always love asking that question because I got a billion different results whenever I do, because obviously it's up to the individual. I will mm-hmm. say this, that right. and I say this uh, sometimes that my uh, favorite answer uh, was from Neil Young when he said, when I'm mm-hmm. done, Okay. What? I get it. Yeah, no, I would uh, love a super cut of everyone's answers from this question. Oh, he was, I I worked with that guy for a long time. Wow. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Let me tell you. But regardless, that might be for another time because uh, the show is over. Uh, Here's what we're going to do. Yeah, no. Sorry? (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Okay, here's what we're going to do. This is the setup. We're going to do a little acting involved. Uh I'm going to pretend to say goodbye to you. You're going to pretend to say goodbye to me. I'm going to pretend to hang Uh up and then we'll keep chatting after this little goodbye, right? <laughs> okay, okay so, because you know, so let's pretend the like no one can listen to this right now, right? Mm-hmm. I'm just no one's listening, uh, but we're, so we're gonna pretend, and then when we're done, then we're gonna click up. Deal? Okay, okay, here we go. Deal. All right. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to the end of this podcast. Congratulations on winning that little award. Not that there is one. Yay! Yay! You got the <laughs> end. 
Hooray for the end. <laughs> it's a title. I'll make a sash. Please do, actually. <laughs> what a wonderful time. My God, that I have so much fun. I'll wear it in public. <laughs> Please. Every, whatever it takes. Just promote the podcast. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> but honestly, you've been great. Fantastic. So thank you. Seriously, Took. I really appreciate the time. And now it's your turn. All right, everybody. Tune in to all the other episodes because those folks are probably tons more interesting than me, even though I won the award. None of that is true, ladies and gentlemen. And <laughs> one, two, click.